Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. everybody, this is Johanna Carroll, and I'm welcoming you to Dialogue with Divinity. It's my intention in Dialogue with Divinity to have great conversations with people I call the wisdom keepers. And these are the people that I've met throughout my 30 years of doing my work on the planet who are here to bring us wisdom at a whole new level to really have us look at life through our spiritual glasses, as I always say. So today, it really is my great honor to welcome PMH Atwater to our show. She is one of the original researchers in the field of near-death studies, which is really going to be what we're talking about today. And she began her work in 1978. She's written 15 books on her findings, and she really is considered to be one of the top-ranking experts internationally. We also are going to be talking about her most recent book, which is Dying to Know You, Proof of God in the Near-Death Experience. She considers this to be the people's book. It's a summation of the words of over 4,000 adult and child experiencers of near-death states, their experience, their truth, and their wisdom. The book itself consists of collective energy as far as intelligence as the collective experience that they all had you may even discover yourself in that book there's really no other book like it on the market pmh has so many credentials it would probably take me an hour just to tell you what they are but i will tell you that in 2005 she was awarded the outstanding service award from the international association for near-death studies 
and the Lifetime Achievement Award for the National Association of Transpersonal Hypnotherapists. She's got an honorary PhD from a school in Sri Lanka. And beyond that, I'm just going to welcome her to our show so we can begin our dialogue and our conversation all about the near-death experience. So PMH, so nice to have you on Dialogue with Divinity. Thank you for joining us today. Well, it's absolutely fun. I enjoy (laughs) doing shows like this, and I especially enjoy talking about God and divinity and spirituality and, ah, fun. So the book, um, you know, there's, I think a lot of people have a different perception about what near-death experience really is. Do you mind, just give us a quick primer for those of those those of you who are listening right now who's not really sure what it really is. We've heard so many sure, different stories. Sure, The near-death experience is an intense awareness or sense or experience of otherworldliness, whether pleasant or unpleasant, because we do have some unpleasant ones, that happens to people who are at the edge of death. It is of such magnitude that most experiencers uh, make significant changes in their lives afterward. Um, The average um, near-death experiencer is without vital signs, that is to say no breath, no heart, no lungs, for from 5 to 20 minutes. That's average. And, of course, we know that you have to have oxygen in about oh, maybe four to five minutes, or we've got brain damage. Well, a significant feature of the near-death experience is there's either little or no brain damage. Rather, there's brain enhancement. You come back smarter than you were before. That's really amazing. Does science support this, or science has got the vote out on it? They do. Sure, sure. sure. I know because a lot of your work, you've done so many clinical studies so the brain, I know the thousand, you know, the thousand petal lotus of the brain holds so much that we, I don't even think we tap into very much of it right now. So you're saying that the near-death experiencer, whether it's the oxygen or is it really that the, the oxygen is unfolding those petals of awareness at a higher no, level? No, not at all. In fact, we don't know for sure what causes it. What we do know in... Um, prospective studies that were published in Lancet Medical Journal is that the near-death experience, once you have none of these functioning, that is to say no brain waves, no heartbeat, no lungs, no breath, you know, this kind of thing, once all of that is offline and you are, for all extents and purposes, a corpse, you can still have out-of-body experiences once you get out of body, you have a 360-degree vision, um, and all of the experiences out of body that people have reported, and many of them have had third-party testimonials, and all of them that I know of have been verified. You have clear, enhanced consciousness, self-identity with emotions, cognition, which is thought perception, full use of faculties, and intact memories. So all of this is happening to a corpse. You mentioned before, and I know we're going to talk a lot more about this in your book in the second uh, part of our show, is that not everyone experiences this in the same way. I think there's this preconceived notion that, you know, you're floating around in a cloud, God is there, you get your instructions and you come back. 
No. But it's uniquely different. <laughs> That's the media version. Because you've That's had the more than the media version. Yeah, because I know you've had your own near-death experiences, yeah, which you've shared with me. Yeah, I had three in months. Three, <laughs> three, three in, months in 1977. Johanna, I look back and I call it the heavenly sledgehammer effect. Wow. Yeah, three and three months, that's the sledgehammer. And I really got okay. it. Okay, we're going we're gonna to hold that phone. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at www.drgibbswilliams.com. Shamanism is recognized as a method to access the quantum level. Mastery of shamanic skills puts spiritual information and healing power into your hands. Path Home Shamanic Art School, a bonded Colorado certified occupational school, has met rigorous state standards ensuring its director and instructors have the qualifications to teach the shamanic arts. Path Home offers a certification program in blocks of study. Block 1, a five-day intensive, will be held in the beautiful mountain town of Coldale, Colorado, October 13th through 18th. Registration deadline is September 12th. Experience journey trance, power animals, helping spirits, sacred space, and life purpose. Come discover your power. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, in the magical world of shamanism. Call 303-775-3431 or visit findyourpathhome.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. This is Johanna Carroll. Our show is Dialogue with Divinity. And today we're speaking about near-death experiences, which, in my opinion, one of the world's experts, PMH Atwater. So before we went to break, PMH, we were talking about 
your own, as you call the sledgehammer effect, three near-death experiences within a three-month period. Is yeah. this really the catalyst that got you into doing, you know, the, your life's mission work around the near-death experience? Well, kind of, sort of. That's hard to say. Uh, before I died, um, I was deeply, deeply into altered states of consciousness, ghosts, um, all kinds of psychic phenomena, biorhythms, um, meditation, anything you can name. I was doing it and teaching it. I started, I, I come from Idaho. I started Idaho's first uh, metaphysical corporation, nonprofit metaphysical corporation. Uh, I felt that my job was to introduce this kind of material, solid material, that had been um, proven in workshops or at least verified to that degree that it could be uh, to bring it to the public. And this I did in a very, very big way, involved way over 3,000 people. And, you know, I reached that sort of metaphysical post that many of us reach or, or spiritual land post that says, um, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. True. And I felt like, you know, I'd done it all. I'm ready now for a new teacher. Oh, wow, <laughs> you sure got one. <laughs> a person. <laughs> I got I got deaf instead. So, whammo. And um, I can honestly say with all of my background, uh, it didn't make uh, any difference except for two things. One, it enabled me to exist in any kind of condition or place without any fear, and it enabled me to um, uh, to not need an ego. I, I simply didn't need an ego. So in those two respects, it was familiar, but in every other respect, it was far beyond anything I'd ever heard of, seen, read about, experienced. I mean, it was way over the, the top. And, you know, the typical near-death experience or experiencer, I should say, takes about seven to ten years to integrate the experience. You know, some people say they do it quicker. Uh-uh, they don't. <laughs> they may think they are, but they're not. Um, and it took me a year to get to the place where I was a human being again. You know, one of the things we forget, uh, Johanna, is that most near-death experiences come from violence or trauma. Really? Uh, absolutely. Most of them come from violence or trauma. So you've got a body to rebuild afterward. You know, th this is not pleasant. And I was one of those. I, I had to relearn how to, how to crawl, how to stand, how to walk, how to climb stairs and run, how to tell the difference between left and right, see and hear properly, and rebuild all my belief systems. And uh, later that year, my first two happened in January of 1977, the third in March of 1977. Later that year, so we're talking October, November, I had three major relapses, one of which was adrenal failure. I was wow. working with a blood pressure reading of 60 over 60, so you know I wasn't doing too good. Um, so, you know, it, it's hard to come back from these. I mean, some of them are quick and, and fairly easy. Uh, we've got basically four types of experiences. At least I was able to show that and establish that in my own work. The first one I call the initial experience because it's quick and there's not much to it. 
um, maybe the individual will hear something like a friendly voice or a loving nothingness. They might have a quick in and out of body experience, and that's about it. That's it. But still go on and have after effects. Uh, the second one I would call the hellish or unpleasant experience. In my research base, one out of seven. Uh, there's the heavenly or pleasant experience. Um, we hear the most about that from the media, from books, from right. newspapers, radio shows. And then there's the transcendent experience. Very seldom is it ever personal. Usually has to do with history, um, hmm. things involving the human family, what one can do to make a significant change or difference in life for your fellow members of the human family. Um, the ones that you have a life review in are the pleasant and unpleasant ones, heaven or hellish. Very, you don't get them in the initial. They're, they're too brief, too short. Um, with the transcendent, once in a while you'll get, you'll, get, uh, you'll get one like that, but that's not, that's not usual. Most of them, <clears throat> excuse me, again, uh, have very little of anything to do with what's personal. It, it, again, it's that larger view of the human family. So we're breaking things down into categories. Does this mean that these are sequential or you can have one or multiple of these happening at the and same no, time? <laughs> there's no such thing as sequential. Okay. <laughs> Forget that one. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you can. You so can it's either one, it. two, three, or four. It's either um, the initial one, the hellish one, the heavenly yeah. one, or the transcendent. Yeah, people will have one of the four. Really? Interesting. And some people have multiple experiences. Okay. Um, the... Uh, the most in my research was a man who'd had 23 of them. He was in his 40s when I met him. He was in a wheelchair. Um, he was not expected to live after birth. They expected him to die any time, and he did indeed die again and again, and as a youngster, mm. uh, and, uh, on, and on and on throughout his life. And so <laughs> I asked him, why did he think... Um, he had so many near-death experiences. That's a good question. What did and he have he, to say? Well, he said they're my vitamin pill. Interesting. So that he looked at first. this. This is a positive experience for him. Yes. Uh, it's what enabled him to keep going. Yep. That is really fascinating. Pill. You know, let me ask you a question on a practical note. How do you find these people? I mean, I know you're you're obviously very supportive of the clinical research and study and you're extremely well known and honored for that so you know I, I've had, personally have had a lot of clients who feel that they've had a near-death experience some of them I think they have and some of them are not so sure but in terms I mean you're talking about 4,000 people that are in this book by the way the name of the book again dying to know you proof of God and the near-death experience by PMH Atwater. That's what we're talking about today. So where do you find these 4,000 people? I didn't have any problem at all the first four or five years. Um, let me sort of back up and give you a little bit of a backstory. In my third near-death experience, I was, um, I won't say met by, but I would say a voice spoke to me during my experience. 
Okay. And it's a voice that I called the voice like none other. Beautiful. Because it was so big. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't like an angel or a guide or guardian or any of that kind of stuff. It was bigger than that. It was a you voice actually so heard big. a vo- you heard a voice. Oh, absolutely. You had- okay, absolutely. you heard this voice. Absolutely, voice okay. that massive voice, mm-hmm. and and the voice said, and I quote, "Test revelation. You Beautiful. are to do the research. <laughs> one wow. book for each death." It did not name book one. It did name books two and three. Okay. Uh, it showed, it told me what was to be in each one. It did not tell me how to do the work. So when I came back, well, hey, I'm a cop's kid. I was raised in a police station. Um, so I used police investigative techniques as my protocol. Okay, good. And I began like some kind of, you know, stupid newbie. <laughs> Newborn kid, uh, because I left Idaho in 1978, and that's when I began my work, mm-hmm. crisscrossed across the United States, and, and then, you know, was hard at it. And, you know, it just didn't matter where I was. I would meet them. I'd turn around, they'd be there. I'd be on an elevator, they'd be there. Right. I'd walk down the street, they'd be there. They'd be there right. in a taxi cab. It didn't matter. Uh, let me give you an example uh, I was working for an internet con- uh, company at the time for hotels and um, motels. So I, they sent me all over the country, especially from anything east of the Mississippi River. So I, all of that terrain was my terrain, I, and I, I could be sent anywhere. And this one particular time, I was in Macon, Georgia, and I, and I had a coffee break. So mm-hmm. I walked over to a nearby truck stop, and, you know, they had a nice eatery in there, so I went in and sat down and ordered a little bit of food, and I was reading from a paperback, just minding my own business. I was at this little table and kind of in the, in the middle of the space, just reading away, and this guy comes up. I swear he's as white as he is tall, great big guy, and he sort of taps me on the shoulder and says, um, do you mind if I sit down there <laughs> with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I kind of thought about it, and I thought, well, okay, go ahead and sit down. We'll share the table. And he looked me right straight in the eye, and he says, I want to tell you all about the time I died. That's amazing. And I want you to know <laughs> that I still chase women. And I still drink alcohol, and I still swear. <laughs> but I want you to know all about my death. And That's then, interesting. You know, yeah. there he goes, you know. So I think a lot of people would say, okay, law of, law of attraction. She's got that really, that sign is tied to her spiritually <laughs> post. Well, so I know I, that. What I finally of, decided after years of this. Okay. And, and, you know, anywhere in, in the nation, after years and years of this, I finally decided that I must be wearing a sign on the back of my um, body that said in just illustrated bright lights, tell me about your near-death experience. You know, I, I decided that I must have been wearing this sign that only near-death experiencers could see because oh. they would seek me out. They would recognize you. And later on, I put some ads in some magazines and newspapers. Later on, I got some from talks. But most of them were 
we're through that kind of spooky, hard to describe, um, you know, way of meeting. You know, I want to talk a little bit more about, because I think this book, all of your books are important, 15 books, that's a lot. This book, I know, sticks really with what people say rather than right. what we, you know, would say, oh, you know, yeah. it's supposed to be this beautiful heavenly experience. And I know you and I have talked about this before. For lots of people, it's it's not. So why is that valuable to people to know these different, these four levels? Why is that? I think we've got a, maybe another minute or so to chat about that, and then we're going to take a quick break. So just well, I, I don't short know answer. That <laughs> It's that much about the four levels, but also the pattern of physiological and psychological after effects. It's the after effects that validate the experience, not the other way around. Mm. And we can have near-death experiences. We can have near-death-like experiences. People who do not die, but but seem to be, seem to be in a situation where somehow a near-death experience is caused. Okay, we're going to hold that thought. We're going to be right back. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exome Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exome Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7-365. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. 
During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is Johanna Carroll. You are listening to Dialogue with Divinity, and our subject today is all about near-death experiences with one of my favorite people on the planet, PMH Atwater. We're talking about her book. I'm not sure which one of you is here, but I know one of you is here. (laughs) Dying to Know You, Proof of God in the Near-Death Experience. So PMH has experienced herself, near-death experiences, and obviously it, it gave her a whole new identity in the world and, and in terms of the quality of her work. So what we were just talking about is the after effect of a near-death experience. You think that people focus too much on, hey, I want to know what happened while you were over there, rather than I want to know about how it's changed your life now. That's, that's correct. Absolutely correct. And, and this is forced on us by the media because they want to film documentaries, stories, even books and documentaries and so forth and so on. Um, they want the drama of an afterlife. They want the drama of the accident and the person survives. They want all of that to, I suppose, improve their ratings. And so they don't really focus on or give you any kind of study of the entire phenomenon. For instance, um, in 1982, Gallup Poll did a scientific study of near-death experiences and found that only 9% experienced a tunnel. And yet today we associate the near-death experience with a tunnel where, in fact, only about maybe 25, 38, or uh, maybe about 25% uh, of the people ever have a tunnel. Ever well, do they think they, is the tunnel supposed to be some glamorous thing that they can sensationalize? Why Why do they focus on this tunnel? That's interesting. Well, was, well I don't know. I'm 9%. It, 
it's because it was different. It was new. It was visual. It was sort of like a wow factor. Okay. Um, you can trace the reports of a tunnel uh, back to the time when the media sensationalized Raymond Moody's first book. So mm. they took that part from his book okay. and really sold it, sold it, sold it to the point that everybody now thinks that a near-death experience consists of a light in a tunnel. Uh-uh, it consists of a lot more things than that. Your 4,000 people that you have in this book, were there some common experiences that uh, you saw? In other words, were there different, I don't want to say categories, but what were some of those experiences besides the tunnel that people were having? Well, again, very few have the tunnel. Uh, let me right. give you some case studies. This is uh, one um, outside Portland, Oregon, October, late in October, the dark of the moon. Um, uh, around midnight, the fellow was driving outside of town, out sort of in the hinterland, a lot of curves. There had been oh, a little bit of a, a drizzle, and then all of a sudden the temperature dropped which created what we call black ice. Black ice, right. And so this guy is driving around, you know, midnight out there. Um, he did not realize the road was icy. So he was going too fast for the road conditions, lost control of his car, smashed into head, you know, head first, <laughs> um, nose first of the car, right into a big, huge tree. Um, his description is... He floated up to the top of the tree. He looked down at the accident. He noticed that he had lost an arm. He noticed that he was bleeding profusely. Mm-hmm. And his decision was to save his body. Okay. So he looked around for someone where he could get help. And there was only one house, and it was a, it was a bit of a ways away on kind of a little ridge, two-story house. Um, the top right-hand story uh, window had a light on. So he said he went over there. Now, I don't know how he went over there. He didn't describe he just, like I was floating. I no, was, he, he, no, just said, he just said, he went there. I went over there. Okay. And so he's outside of the window looking in. He sees a man in there. So he jumps up and down and screams, he said, at the top of his lungs, there's been an accident, call the police. There's been an accident, call the police. Well, interestingly enough, the guy inside looked up at the window and saw what he thought was fog, and it was jumping up and down. He says, fog doesn't jump up and down. And then he heard this loud man's voice in his ear saying, there's been an accident, call the police. So this so man... That, right away, right away, this guy goes to the phone <laughs> and reports the accident. Of course, he didn't know anything about it, but he reported the accident. He went downstairs, got a flashlight, went out there, outside, and mm-hmm. searched and searched and searched until he could find the accident scene. He was there when the police and the ambulance arrived. Um, the guy was was, um, for all extents and purposes, dead. They were able to resuscitate him um, and save his life at the hospital. He lost his right arm. This is a right-handed artist. 
Mm-hmm. So that was a really big deal, losing his right arm. Huge. They could not reattach it. Huge. And he was blind. The, the accident blinded him. Okay. Um, he had a lot of things wrong. He was in the hospital for three months. And at the end of the three months, he got his sight back. His sight came back. Beautiful. And so he asked for paper and pen. And the hospital staff brought that to him with his left hand now. He drew a picture of the accident scene. The police were called in. The guy in the house was called in. They looked at the picture that he drew. And as far as they were concerned, it was so accurate. It was as if a photograph of the accident scene. And did he also draw a picture of going to this house with a light no, on? Or he, he only did not? drew the one picture. He yeah, only okay. drew the one of the actual Everything event. Everything else is testimonial. Interesting. He just drew that one picture. The rest is all testimonial. But we get cases like that. For instance, I'll give you another one. This is a woman, oh, I'm going to guess maybe early 30s. She's driving out kind of like farming land. And uh, she comes to this intersection, and um, she doesn't see anybody in particular, so she's going to go right through the intersection. And a big truck suddenly comes up from the left and slams right into her. And dead on sight, able to get the police, ambulance there. They rushed her to the hospital. They were able to revive her. Now, in the, in the surgical rooms... Um, when she comes to, when, when she revives, she's effusive. She's glowing. She's happy. She's effusive. She says, I met my dad. I saw my dad. And he Aww. told me all about his death. And, and when he, and, you know, and, and where it happened. And he told me about that it was okay for him to die, that it's, his time was up. And, you know, he'd done everything he needed to do. And, and he said to me that I have to go back because I haven't done everything I'm supposed to do. Well, she's so effusive that, that the doctors and the nurses can't handle her. So this, this one doc goes to the, the waiting room where, where, you know, the family is gathering and, and tells them what happened about the dad. And they said, well, obviously she's hallucinating. The dad is in perfect health. Still One alive. of them had called him that okay. very morning. There okay. wasn't a thing wrong with the dad. So the doctor went back, told the gal, and she just became even louder and more effusive. So this time the doctor was a little <clears throat> put out, and he went back to the family and he says, okay, you get that dad on the phone right now, this minute. So everyone in the room started calling, calling, calling. Um, suffice it to say, what they found out was that the father had died five minutes before the daughter did oh in exactly gosh. the same manner That's as he had amazing. told her that he had died. I'm saying to you, Johanna, that's oxygen deprivation? That's amazing. Forget it. That's amazing. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about this borderlands experience. People talk about the borderlands yes, where people, they, they the may go, but, you know, moving on. Is, is that what she had? Did she have a borderland experience? No, no, no. She was, she had a, 
Uh, what would you call it? Um, she had a mystical experience with her father, who was giving her guidance to go back. Near death experience, her life. a total yeah. near death experience with yeah. all the trimmings. Sure. Except that again, she did not have a tunnel or anything like that. Mm -hmm. She didn't have a life review either. Except that her father told her that she had to come back. She had a job to do that she hadn't completed yet. You know, I hear that from a lot of people. Let me ask you a question about that, because I actually had a friend who she says that she, well, she said she's no longer in her body, that she had a near-death experience. She was in a coma for a month. She remember the only thing she really remembered was she didn't talk about a tunnel or anything. She just remembered this warm feeling, and she remembered, this is what she said to me, the only thing I remember was that God told me that I had a job to do, and I had to come back. And I said, well, what was the job? And he gave me a message, and I said, what was the message? The message was that I'm supposed to tell the world how much we are loved. It was, you know, it was a very simple message. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, she never really got, so I said, okay, well, what are you going to do with the message? You're going to write a book. You're going to go talk to Unity Church. You know, what, you know, how are you going to do this? And she never was really able to accomplish that. And I felt like for her, she supposedly had this near-death experience, but the rest of her life, I have to be honest with you, was very sad. It was filled with a lot of disappointment and whether it was like she didn't do her job you know she didn't finish her mission or deliver her message and you know she died suddenly of a heart attack last year and I thought wow I think people have the impression that you if you have a near-death experience you come back and you know your life is going to be so much better and improved and I have to say hers wasn't no the average is not that's um, wow that's daunting then our challenge as near as I can tell is to rebuild our lives in doing it uh, in such a way that it's as if we become a new a, a new person okay it's, it's as if you become um, yeah you become a new person I, was I remember on my, I, was I was on my way to being a bank manager when this I happened can't to see me. you doing that <laughs> you know I remember you telling me once that and I don't remember which near-death experience it was that you had that your daughter was not happy. She wanted her oh, mother not back. At all. She Very wanted... few families are happy. Very few. She uh, wanted... Let me tell you what Natalie said, um, my oldest daughter. Um, she came to me. Remember, I'm from Idaho, so we're plain speakers out there. And, and she <laughs> came to me in the kitchen, put her hands on her, on her hips, and looked at me right in the face. And she said, well, you're friendlier now than you used to be. Yeah, and sure. I like talking to you, wow. but you're not mom, and I want mom back. Yeah, well, you know, we're going to take we, a, we a little pause. Never did find her. We're going to take a little pause on that. We'll be right back.
As host of Dialogue with Divinity, I am thrilled to join the Exxon Broadcast Network and their growing number of affiliates. My quest for a connection to the divine ignited my successful career path as an international spiritual counselor for over 40 years, an author of four books, and well-known metaphysical educator. My clients call me their spiritual mama. So my job is to offer you a radio show to help you grow spiritually with wisdom and get specific tools from guests who are experts in their field. Tune into Dialogue with Divinity and be part of the conversation with spirit. My goal, your happy soul. For more information, please visit my website at johannacarroll.com. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7, 365. Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who would like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com.
What Happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genix provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life has no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. This is Joanna Carroll. Welcome back to Dialogue with Divinity. And our subject today, a very interesting one with PMH Atwater, all about near-death experiences. PMH, your latest book, Dying to Know You, Proof of God and the Near-Death Experiences. Where can people find you and how do they order this book? (laughs) They can go to that book anywhere. (laughs) Absolutely anywhere. Or they can get it on my website, which which is www.pm hatwater.com pmhatwater.com I have a little bookstore there that uh, you know if they get it from me they get it autographed <laughs> but you can great. you can get it anywhere absolutely okay and while everybody's listening also for myself Johanna Carroll if you'd like more information about what we're doing on our show you'll find me at johannacarroll.com okay so back to our very interesting subject I love the fact that you've done so much work with children and I know in the book, I believe, if I am correct, you talk about the three major lights found during death oh, and afterward. Oh, yeah, kids. the kids. So what do they uh, say about that? Do too, but, you know, uh, um, lots of kids talk about this. This one light is very raw. It's very piercing. It's very powerful. It doesn't have any particular color. It's more of a radiance. Uh, mm-hmm. The other light is, is is a black or dark light. Many mm-hmm. of them say it has has purple tinges in it. There's something very warm and comforting and friendly and wise and healing about this dark or black light. 
And then this white light that most people talk about uh, sometimes has gold or silver in it, but brilliant white. Um, this, uh, this light knows all about you. It knows your name. You can converse with this light. Um, the children are very specific, though. They're more specific than adults are. But, <laughs> you know, they get right to the point, and they say, they well, the detail, um, that darker black light, that's mother light. And that uh-huh. white light or that bright light, that's father light. And both the mother light and the father light come from God's light. God's light is that raw, piercing, radiant light. Do they use that word, God's light? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are these, are these children, most of these children have been raised in a religious background? Well, not necessarily, no. Sometimes then how do they, they know that it's God's light? I'm just curious. They just know uh, that it's God's light. They will say God's light or okay. a, a term um, that I would call God. Uh, maybe in their culture they would, uh, you know, a little different, but still God. This idea of that one great um, intelligence, that one great being above and beyond all else. So, um, yeah. And, and with the children, has does their, I mean, they're, they're young children, I'm assuming. When you say children, what ages are we talking about? Well, my first study was birth to the age of 15 years, in okay. a couple of weeks, I start another one uh, with a new group, and I'm going after the tiny ones now, people who think uh, uh, they had a near-death experience or something like it between birth and the age of five. Wow. So I'll be doing that very shortly. I now have 102 um, people, uh, 102 cases. So I'm going to study it as a lived experience. Because we're not doing that. We're not really looking at the living of it. And, and especially with children, this is so, so important. Um, what I found with, with kids is that we get, we get so mesmerized by out-of-the-mouth-of-babes syndrome True. that we really don't look at how that affects the child and how they grow up with it. And and that to me is the larger story. So that's so is it the larger story as far as a responsibility for the parent or cl- you know clinically whoever's dealing with these kids to well, give them a greater depth or better tools? I mean, what specifically is coming out of that and, living? And the not living. being insulted by these kids that are different, not being threatened mm-hmm. by children who don't bond to them, not judging. Um, you know being opened by children who are suddenly very, very psychic, very knowing, very innovative, very creative, and, you know, they're scared by this. It's like, what's going on to my child? Of course. So the book on that is The New Children and Near-Death Experiences. There'll soon be another one. And then next spring will be another book, too. Oh, my gosh, Uh, you're like the... (laughs) (laughs) Well, remember, in my own experience, I was told to write three specific books. That's right. And, and the book one was not named. I think that was coming back to life, but it was not named. The second one was Future Memory. If you haven't read Future Memory, do. Because, again, it's not like any other book you'll ever read anywhere. Every None of your sentence, books are. <laughs> every sentence, every paragraph, every page is part of the math I use to create the labyrinth. The book is a labyrinth. You? Okay, the third one I just finished. It's just out of edits. 
It's now with the publisher. It is called A Manual for Developing Humans. Wow, that sounds pretty profound, I have to say. It is. I think we're going to talk about that on another show, but I want to get back. (laughs) Let's get back to your current book. Okay, so... This Just is sign something... up for my free monthly newsletter. You'll know all about this stuff. Okay, so those of you that are listening, there's a free monthly newsletter. And again, we're going to go to your website, which is pmhatwater.com. Right. So you talk about something that I've, you know, I've had, I don't know where I get the information from, but I do work with, you know, these council groups on the other side of the veil. And one of the things that I know that people have a great fear of is, that they're not going to be able to breathe after they drop their body. And I've always felt that uh, yeah. the breath, the breath. get a big dose of that in Dying to Know You, Proof of God, uh, uh, in the near-death experience. So many experiencers, adults, and children, one of the first things they find when they're, other, when they're on the other side is that it's breathing. Mm-hmm. There's breath over there. It's breathing. This idea of expansion, contraction, expansion, and contraction, as if all the universe and, and all creation were breathing. And, and the kids, I love kids, you know, they just get right to the point. And they say, yeah, it's breathing over there, but not as your nose does. That's so cute. it's not the kind of breath we're used to in our nose. And, right. and you know, if you go back, to the original meaning of the word Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit literally means the breath of God breathing. I've always so, had this sense that yeah. when, you know, that people go through the, the, well, I'm talking about just the normal dying experience, not that anyone dying is normal, but there's that that last breath, that rattle breath, and I've always felt like, okay, you're going to breathe that out, and guess what? You're going to breathe yourself right across to the other side, and that breath is still going to continue, but in a much more expanded way. And so I, yeah. I think people, you know, they're afraid yeah. of choking to death or something like that. So the breath of God breathing. You that, talk about the idea of um, you talk about the idea of voltage. Yeah. When you talk about the light. Yeah, when you're Explain talking light. Adults uh, describe the light on the other side of death as stronger and brighter than 10,000 suns. Instantly you're fried, but there's no pain. Um, and children also talk about this. It's, it's the idea that souls and anything connected to the other side really does have a voltage strength. Um, you know, if you... It, Today, anywhere, if you're going to be a ghost hunter, you've got your little voltage meter true. because you're looking for those bleeps, yeah, that I'm idea gonna... of voltage. True. Um, it's the same thing when, uh, when you're talking about death and when you're talking about the soul. You're talking voltage. You're talking that particular light that is significant. It's nobody's made-up piece. This is real. This is physical. This is real. So I know that, you know, of course, one of the most ancient teachings in the Bible is the whole thing about the burning bush and that man can really not look upon the face of God or they will be incinerated. Is it that kind of electricity that we're talking about? Well, it could, it could well be. Yeah, I think that it might be. I know for myself, um, there was a, 
there was a uh, project that was done that they brought a lot of psychics and scientists into a room and they hooked them up to all of these monitors and meters and whatever. And when they dropped down into theta and they went into that, you know, magical state of samadhi, as I would call it, that the electrical voltage meters were going crazy. So I feel that there is an ability on some level to tap into that without being... I just had my measured three months ago. (laughs) I'm afraid to ask you how high it was. Guess where I am when I'm doing most of my work, when I'm writing and putting things together and, you know, I'm just really excited about what I'm doing. I'm in low delta. Really? Interesting. Low delta and low theta. When I want to go to sleep, I'm in alpha. When I'm playing, I'm in high, a high gamma. <laughs> well, I know there's a lot, you know, there's lots of things that have been written about these different states of consciousness, and we could go on and on and on and talk yeah, to you forever. Yeah. So, obviously, when the new book comes out, we want to have you back, but I just want to reiterate to everyone that's listening, PMH atwater.com is where you're going to find every bit of information about this amazing woman and her near-death experience research she is a beautiful lovely soul and for myself johanna carroll you can find me at johannacarroll.com so i want to thank you so much for being with us it's been a great show it's so interesting it's just a a fascinating subject to me so i know you've got a lot more going and you know I think your ever ready battery is <laughs> really plugged in so many blessings and heart hugs to you and to everyone that's listening bye for now